Welcome to By the Ghost Line. This is a sad episode. This is an immemorium. As our good friend Andy will no longer have any shows on the Great White Way. I would like to take a moment of silence for our good friend Andy. That's it. Good riddance. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And I think it's great that this man's 44-year run on Broadway is over because he wrote a bad show. Um, bad Cinderella is closing. It sure is. On, I believe it was announced May 10th, and somehow it's still going to run through June 4th or something like that. Like, Yeah. Okay. If you're going to close it, why not just close it? I don't understand that part, but... I'm not Andrew Lloyd Webber or his team of producers that clearly know better than I. And on the one hand, it's always a little sad when a show closes and you've got all those cast and crew members who are out of a job. Yep. But on the other hand, it's a bad show. So you know how we ask the question, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it still make noise? The answer is complicated, but yes. Yeah. Um, if Cinderella is bad, but nobody sees it, is it still bad? Yes. Okay. That's, that's what I hear. Um, the answer to the tree question, in case you're curious, cause I've, I've done this, uh, STEM session with uh, of course you kids have. the uh, library. Yeah, of course you have. Yep. The tree is still making vibrations and sound waves through the air, but unless there is an ear around to take those sound waves and translate them into sound through a brain of something, then no, there's not a sound. Okay. All right. However, a situation in which nothing with an ear would be around to hear a tree fall is incredibly unlikely. Sure. You'd have to be like middle of Antarctica. Yes. And there's not a lot of trees there. No. But because there are so many hearing creatures in almost every part of the world, ostensibly, yes, if a tree falls in a forest. As you all know, this is a theater podcast, so um, <laughs> this has been Cassie's STEM Corner. Listen, we can do STEM Corner anytime you want. It's going to be, like, maxed out at, like, third grade level STEM, because that's as complicated as I get with most STEM concepts. You know what's a complicated concept, Cassie? What is a complicated concept, Tony nominations. There's, I want so badly to believe that Tony nominations and Tony winners is like such a pure process. I desperately want that to be true. And I know that it isn't. Like, there's so much in the way of politics. There's so much in the way of like self promotion. Yep. That has to be done. It's the same for any awards show. Sure, sure is. It's why it's why people look at like the SAG Awards as maybe holding some more sway than the Oscars. Right, yeah. Because like for I know for Oscars at least you have to like you have to like petition to win. You have to like do a you lot of self promotion and put and yourself then out there. Yourself. Yeah, that's a whole and thing. And I'm like I just want it to be the best performance. I just want yeah. a group of people to literally be voting on who they think performed the show the best or which soundtrack they think is the best. And that's not what it is. And that makes me a little bit sad. 
Sure isn't. But Andrew Liette got nine Tony nominations, and that makes me so happy. And Bad Cinderella got none, and that none. makes me really Zero. happy. Done and gone. Uh, some Like It Hot somehow got 13 nominations. Which um, is bizarre so to me cool. because of all the shows that got nominated, that is the one that I know literally nothing about. Right. I somehow know more about the corn show than Some Like It Hot. Right. So that's that's all we need to say. But we can talk about these Tony nominations. But you know what else we could talk about? Because it's far more clickbaity. Lay it on me. Snubs. Tony snubs. Tony snubs. They were snubbed. I will say that there's all this stuff going around the internet right now about how this is just a repeat of the 2017 Tonys because you have Christian Borle and Josh Groban and Ben Platt all nominated for Best Leading Actor. Again, which is exactly what happened. And I said, the main difference being, I do think Ben Platt's going to win it this year, but I also think Ben Platt's going to deserve it this year. Yeah, this time Ben Platt deserves it. I would not be surprised if Josh Groban somehow snuck it away. I don't think Christian Borle will win because uh, Jay Harrison Gee is also nominated from the same show in the same Mm -hmm. category. So they'll split the vote. And then Brian Darcy James for Into the Woods won't win. And Colton Ryan for New York, New York won't win. Um, So it feels like it's Ben or Josh. And we'll see. And I did talk to friend of the podcast, Kelly, um, because she did a big New York trip. And she saw a lot of these shows that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And she said that Parade was just phenomenal and Ben Platt was just phenomenal. Oh, and for sure. Had she be. enjoyed most of Sweeney Todd, but she was not impressed by Josh Groban and Sweeney Todd. Not having seen it, I have no uh, opinion to put forth. But That's fair. That's fair. See, the thing with Josh Groban is, like, he's so good that you feel like anything, like you see him do anything, like he can't live up to the legend of it. You know what I mean? That is valid, I think. He's such a name in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then he has to do something so specific like Sweeney. Mm-hmm. It's, and it, it almost feels like he's pigeonholed, maybe. Right. Whereas Ben Platt finally gets to do an adult show. Yes. And it's like, oh, hey, look at him go. So. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Um, some snubs that were found. Um, notably, Aaron Sorkin for Camelot. Come as, on, man. His book did not get. Um, they did decide that his revisions were extensive enough to make him eligible for best book of a musical, but he was not nominated. Um, I can almost see that, though, if you're stacking it up against people writing an entirely original book. For sure. Like, I can, I can see it that way for sure. Like, hey, you're, you know, kind of redoing it, right? Like, revival of a musical is its own category, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But I can also see people make the argument of, no, it's harder because, right, like you have to change, stay true to the source right. material but make it your own thing, but also this, but also this, but also that. like maybe it's harder in a way. I don't agree with that, but I can see the, the argument. Um, but he was not nominated. Um, also not nominated were Oscar Isaac and Rachel Brosnahan for the sign-in Sydney uh, Bruce Lane's window uh, was overlooked. John David Washington was not nominated for Piano Lesson. Nathan Lane was not nominated. Um, Marcel Spears from Fatham was not nominated. Um, uh, notably, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this name, Haran 
Abai Sakara, I think is the name, um, who is the Olivier Award winner for Life of Pi, was also not nominated. Yeah, Life of Pi didn't get any nominations, which... Sure didn't. I mean, like, I feel like there should be some kind of category for, like, puppetry. At this point, yeah. With with how much of it there is emerging on the Broadway scene and how impressive it is. I don't know that you would be able to do, like, a best puppetry category, but it seems like there should be a category that could encapsulate that. Um, also not nominated, and uh, my personal snub, because I saw it, um, uh, Jefferson Mays was not nominated for the One Man Christmas Carol. He was n- not nominated, and that is a crying shame. Nobody did more than he did in an hour and a half. It's amazing. Also not nominated. There were a couple of directors that were not nominated. Stu- Susan Stroman did New York, New York, was not nominated. Um, Bartlett Share for Camelot, not nominated. And Tommy Kale for Sweeney Todd, not nominated. Um, Lear DeBassonet was nominated for Into the Woods, um, which is interesting. And then um, uh, Prima Facia. Do you know anything about this, Prima Facia? I don't. It but it was an the, Olivier winner. It was an Olivier winner, and it was the one-woman show starring Jodie, Col- Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. Um, she's apparently a revelation. Fantastic. Uh, she was nominated. The show was not. Um, she and the show both won Olivier's. So that was a and little interesting. The one that I heard most people buzzing about was that um, Philippa Sue did not get a nomination. She did not. For Camelot. Not for Camelot. No, she did not. Um, Almost Famous and A Beautiful Noise were two musicals that were shut out of Best Musical. Um, uh, Beautiful Noise didn't get any nominations at all. We'll probably keep running. Apparently, they're selling matinees real well, so good for them. Uh, Bad Cinderella and Bob Fosse's Dancing both got no nominations. And Dancing closed almost immediately. Bad Cinderella to close soon. Um, also notable uh, from Into the Woods is that Patina Miller was not nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Philippa Sue. Uh, Gaten uh, Matarazzo from Sweeney was not. Gavin Creel was not for Into the Woods. Um, Josh Henry was not. Um, and the, but Shucked got nine, which was more than Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, Leopold Stott, and Parade. So it's an interesting list of nominations. It's good to see a lot of fresh names there. We are also, um, you know, there are always going to be lists of snubs or, um, you know, some that got missed or different lists or yada, yada, yada. Um, I think the more interesting conversation this year, though, is that we have several um, non-binary performers uh, that um, either declined to um, be be fit into a category to be nominated, declined to be eligible, um, or um, had to pick. This is part of a longer and larger conversation that not just the Tonys, but all of these award ceremonies are going to need to have moving forward is what do you do about gendered categories? And I know the Grammys have already done away with them. Sure have. And I honestly think that that's the move. I think it's silly that we split 
performance awards by gender. So then what do we do? Two, we do 10 nominees for uh, best lead performer in a musical, and then we give two? Possibly. That would be one potential way to do it. Then is it not best anymore? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's it. a it's a conversation for sure. Like it's, it's a, a it's, a, it's a long and complicated conversation, but I think we are everything about like gender and the gender spectrum and gender fluidity is becoming so much more prevalent mm-hmm. that the longer we go on clinging to these binary categories, especially with Broadway, when there are so many performers who are not going to fit into a, a binary category right like we owe it to them to have that conversation it's not like this is a blip right that's not what this is it's not like hey everybody decided to write about world war ii so let's you know give the best world war ii play a shot like (laughs) that's not what this is right this is this is the way the world is now let's get on board yeah so we'll see if uh, there is a Tony Award ceremony. They are saying there will be a ceremony one way or the other. There just may not be much of a telecast based on the writer's strike. Yeah. I don't think they've announced like a, hey, if the writers are back to work by this day, we can do it. Like, I don't think they've gotten right. that far yet. Um, but we'll have to see. I believe the ceremony is on the 12th of June. I think so. Sunday. That sounds right. So... Um, we've got a couple of weeks yet. We will keep you posted on the Tonys because uh, I would I would really like to watch a Tony show this year uh, because you know between between this podcast, but then also getting to go to New York and see some of them, um, I feel like I'm in it a little bit. So I'm kind yeah, of yeah, you're a little more invested. Yeah, yeah. Do want do want to note one thing? Is um, it about Audra McDonald? Because that's what I want to note. No, it is not. It is that um, Bad Cinderella received zero Tony nominations. Yeah, I said that. Said that earlier. K- K-pop received one. Yeah, I was excited about that. They got a I thought they got one. more than one. Oh, you know what? You're right. It was more than one. I think there was a was it music or is it the choreography? Definitely. Definitely, but they got and yeah. I but think costumes couldn't maybe? sell K-pop, but you know, worthy of a. Worthy of some some Tony noms. I'm I'm glad that they're posthumous work... Tony noms. Yeah, I'm glad that their work got recognized, even if the show had to close. No, yeah. I was going to mention that Audra McDonald has now tied for the most nominated um, performer of because all time of in has. Tony's history because she's the queen of the Tonys. She's yes, she one is. of only a few people, or maybe one of the only people who has been nominated in all possible performance categories that she's eligible for yeah she's our queen and we love her all hail queen audra and so yeah she got nominated even though the play she was in um ohio state murders ohio state murders did not yeah i did not see ohio state murders i had a chance to see ohio state murders i saw uh kimberly akimbo instead that was a hard choice i believe that i mean listen they both kind of sound like bummers, but... Yeah, Kimberly Akimbo is a big old bummer. Something being a bummer does not mean it's a bad show. We're going to talk about that later. Put a pin here in uh, A Streetcar Named Desire. Yep. I'm going to have to sit with this list a little bit more before I actually like make some predictions. Maybe that's next episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe we maybe we play uh, 
Tony Bingo or uh, pick our pick our lists and then check back in after. Yeah, like we're we're recording this way earlier in the process than we usually do. Yes. Um, just the way that it shook out. So maybe we take between now and when we have to record next to like do a little bit more research <laughs> into some yep. of these. I'm going to uh, put this list of nominees on a table and I'm going to have JJ circle the names he likes the best. Beautiful. I love that. Because that's how he picked his NCAA bracket and he did okay. All right. So it's the same idea, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's what I tend to do going into Tony's because like, I don't have the opportunity, you know, to go to uh, New York and see all these shows and see all these performances. Right. And so there's only so many people that actually even see all of them. Right. Right. And so when I get the list and I see the list, I'm like going to root for the one that I've seen or the person that I know. Sure. Right. You can get it as invested as you can. But it's the Tony Awards are even more than the awards really they're meant to be a celebration right. of the art form and that might be a little hard to do with the writer strike so we'll see Absolutely. how it goes because you could very easily have somebody just stand up and introduce all the groups and the, the groups perform the shows their clips and then there's just nothing connecting so yeah. it's kind of boring but you could kind of get away with it i don't know I don't know what the rules are. Uh, Victoria Clark was nominated for Kimberly Akimbo. I would be surprised if she didn't win because Lorna Courtney's not going to win for Anne Juliet. I don't think Michaela Dimas can win for Parade. Sarah Bareilles could win for Into the Woods, uh, and Annalee Ashford for Sweeney Todd. So I don't, I don't know. But also down the list is um, featured actor in a musical, Justin Cooley, the 19-year-old from Kimberly Akimbo, was nominated. I think it's really interesting to also see, like, how many of these people are getting nominated on their Broadway debut. Because yeah. I know Michaela Diamond was making her Broadway debut in Parade. Julia Lester, yep. who was nominated for Into the Woods, made her Broadway debut with yep. Little Red and Into the Woods. And that's got to feel good. That's got to feel amazing. Maybe you're actually good at this. What? Crazy. I know. Crazy. Validation. We love to see it. We love to see some of that so that's our uh, little tony tony nominations recap uh tell us uh tell us who you're rooting for and then hopefully next time we'll be able to to lay down some some firm picks some hot mm-hmm. takes on some winners and then uh whoever whoever gets more wins something okay good bragging good rights. wager <laughs> bragging rights yeah bragging rights so at my at my middle school book group that I, I run through the library, um, frequently the activity that I put together is Jeopardy because the kids go feral for Jeopardy. I get it. They get so competitive and I have to tell them several times, remember, the team that wins Jeopardy gets nothing. There is no prize. <laughs> and the kids are always like, we get bragging rights. They do. Yeah. Like, I get it. I'm a little competitive. No, you? <laughs> really? Just a, little bit. just a little bit. It's a new thing. I'm working on it. Uh-huh. So, Ryan, have you recovered from your last couple of weekends? No. I um, I actually don't know how much of this I've told you, Cassie, but um, I got strep. 
You did mention that last episode that you missed final dress rehearsal because you had strap. Yeah, so I missed final dress because I had strap. And um, I got to go on antibiotics, which was fun. Um, but by the time um, opening night rolled around, I, I, I felt good enough to perform. And I had been on the antibiotics long enough that I was not contagious anymore. So there was no, you know, no danger to anyone around me. And I felt good enough to do it. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do it. There's no understudy like this is it. So I did it and I did the show and then I did another show and then I did another show. And I, you know, was sucking down cough drops and tea and meds and just trying to get myself through it. Made it through the weekend. Got through the second week. Um, made it all the way through. Felt halfway decent coming out the other end. The day after the show closed, my antibiotics wore off mm-hmm. and the strep came back immediately. So now I'm on round two of antibiotics and steroids now. I I did that in college. It wasn't strep, but it was tonsillitis, Ooh. which is basically the same thing. Basically the same, same thing. Same symptoms, just like a different cause. It's Yeah. Slightly different place in your throat. And uh, I... Went to Falcon Health Center at BGSU. Yep. And got treated and I got antibiotics and I took them exactly as I was supposed to. And as soon as I was done, they came back. And so I went to Falcon Health Center again and immediately got scolded. Like, you know, when we give you antibiotics, you have to keep taking them until the course is gone, not just until you feel better. And I'm like, excuse you. You are talking to a girl. (laughs) Who had one major bacterial illness every year from sixth grade to now. Yes, I know how antibiotics work. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I did exactly what you said and it came back. Please give me bigger, more powerful drugs. It was a triple hitter for me. It came back two times. They had to finally give me a shot of penicillin in my hip. Ooh, boy, that does not sound like a good time. Yeah, I'm really hoping this second course clears it up. I just remember being on the exam table in the back exam room of Falcon Health Center with this nurse practitioner with a giant needle against my hip looking at me going, you're not allergic to penicillin, right? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't think so because I was like 20 at the time. Yeah. As far as I know. I don't think so. I've never had to have penicillin before. And she's like, well, I guess we're about to find out (laughs) right before she plunges. And I was like, excuse you. I hope that you don't have to go through that. I hope so, too. Uh, I'm feeling better um, now that I'm not in rehearsals and shows and everything. I am feeling better. Um, It's all coming back to me. Uh, I feel uh, lighter. I can imagine. Okay. Like physically and mentally, emotionally lighter being on the other side of the show now so listen i'm gonna be i'm gonna be real honest with you yeah go ahead um chase and i didn't really know anything about the show going into it neither of us had seen it before neither of us had read it before because okay. nobody at any point in my life made me read this show that's the only way you read the show is if somebody uh, makes yeah. you read it nobody had ever made me read the show before so i had like a very basic baseline understanding of it 1940s Talking about the things that you talked about in plays that were written in the 1940s. Yep. Everybody's kind of horrible. Yep. Except me. I played the good guy. Uh, yeah, for a lot of it. And then. For like 90, 90 percent. 
and you become the show. not I'm a good okay. Guy. And then I become wildly problematic. I'm sure that in 1940s and 50s standards, you were a stand-up guy all the way through by people who watched. Yep. Anyway, so like, didn't know a lot going into it, but knew that it wasn't gonna be the most uplifting theater experience I'd ever had in my life. That's fair. And let me tell you, this show is a bummer. Real big bummer. It's it's huge a bummer. huge bummer. Again, doesn't mean it was bad. It was a well-performed bummer, but it was a bummer. Top to bottom, head to toe, all bummer. There are no likable characters in this show. No. And that's the like problem. Not, not one. No, everybody's terrible. Like, maybe, yeah, Mitch, my character, is likable for like 90%, and that somehow makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah, because that is like that is the heel turn of all heel turns, like that I get to right. do there. It's heavy every single night to do it. The trigger warnings for the show are insane. You've got domestic abuse. You've yep. got sexual assault. You've yep. got emotional manipulation. You've got yep. gaslighting, straight up gaslighting. Yep. yep, it is a mental. <laughs> Uh, we can't can't swear on the podcast. It is a mental uh, screwing of the mind. It is yeah not happy. It is not pleasant. Every everyone loses. Some people lose more. Um, nobody ends like there's an ar- like there, there's an argument that Blanche somehow ends up better off than she was because she gets consigned to the loony bin in the 1940s, and that's better for her. Like yeah. This is not happy. Um, and somehow, somehow, unfortunately, wildly relevant today still 80 yeah. years later. I will also say that uh, being currently pregnant and having a pregnant character in the show. Yep. That pregnant character goes from, I haven't told anyone I'm pregnant and you can't tell from looking at me, to... Being ready to deliver a full-term baby very quickly. Yes. Sure does. Because when she goes into labor at the end, I honestly thought they were going to come back and be like, both Stella and the baby died. Because the baby came too soon. Because in my mind, she's like delivering a baby at like four and a half months. Right. Um, And it's it's not. They, they're both fine. But I was like, I wouldn't put it past this show. No, it like that would fit. Yeah, that's how we'll just, that is we'll how deep and in. darkly bad this show is. Yeah, well performed, but a bummer. A, yeah, a well performed bummer, and sometimes and you like, need that. At least, death of a salesman. Like the title kind of warns you what you're in for. Yep. You know, but like streetcar named desire. That sounds like it could be fun. It could be fun. Look, be, there was a look. I make a really good. I made some really good jokes about sweating through my shirt. Yeah, it was great. It's a good time. Like streetcar named Desire. It evokes. It evokes. Meet me in St. Louis. It evokes the 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 clang 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 with the trolley song. You know. Yes. Yeah. Chitty chitty bang bang. Yeah, and then it's not that at all. It's in no. fact horrible. It's a horrible three hours. It is a miserable three, and it is and. Listen, at one point, the show was running three hours, and we cut it down. 
Like we tightened up some stuff. We changed like we got it down to a tight. It was two forty with two intermissions. Yeah. So it was about two twenty of actual stage time, which is a lot. Yeah. But could have been much much worse. So my question for you, and I'm I'm asking this slightly legitimately. Uh, it's not sure. like I'm going to hear your answer and then come in with my own answer. I don't have an answer. Okay. Um, why has this play entered into one of the like almost kind of cultural touch points of American theater from the past sure. seventy years? Like what? What is it to about the this play that there is a Simpsons musical episode about streetcar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, like I'm not a Simpsons guy, but I know that exists. I like, really know that now because I did Streetcar. But so so Tennessee Williams was already uh, a pretty famous, and he was already successful. Um, and there's a lot of autobiographical elements to Streetcar from. Uh, uh, his uh, his sister and his father and terrible things and there's a lot of a lot of bad in it, um, which I think is what makes the story feel more real because okay. it's there's elements of truth to it. Um, the real reason this you know got into the cultural zeitgeist so much is because it's right after World War II. It's a couple of war heroes, which is who um, Stanley and Mitch are, coming home. And picking up their lives after it, which was happening at the time, and it's down in New Orleans, which was you know, um, like kind of the, like the the fantastical other of America at the time, and it was Marlon Brando. It's Marlon Brando. And this is the this is the role that made him Marlon Brando to to the extent that um, the show Streetcar Named Desire is about Blanche. It is about Blanche. It is about Blanche. It is about Blanche. Marlon Brando was so riveting and good and charismatic and whatever as Stanley that people started to read the show differently and thought of him as the main character and tried to make him more sympathetic, which is crazy because that is not this show. but. There are ways you can do that. You can make Blanche. You can sexualize Blanche more. You can, um, uh, you can you can make the the coming the coming on of Stanley more element. You can have Stanley resist more. You can like there's there's directorial and acting choices you can make to kind of tease this story in whatever direction you want. We went a very specific okay. direction, which is yeah. um, Blanche's brain is real screwed up, but this yeah. isn't her fault. Um, yeah, but. But that, but then they do all of this, and it's wildly successful on Broadway. And then they immediately film it with the original cast with Brando, launches okay. Brando's career. But then that film is held up so, as, as, as as you know, great American classic right after World War II, um, original American story. Marlon Brando, Jessica Tandy, Kim Hunter, but also. Um, you know, resonated with people. So it's probably a little bit circumstantial. It, the it success is. It of this. Is. The I fact honestly, that there was this movie, the fact that it, it was made accessible to a wide range of people and kind of entered into the cultural awareness that way. I would compare it to Oklahoma. Okay. In that sense. Oklahoma, like 
Streetcar is good. This script is really good, but Tennessee Williams also rewrote this script like three or four times. Like there are right. multiple different versions of this script as he was constantly trying to find the best one. Like yeah. Oklahoma is not the world's greatest show, but it came out at exactly the right time for exactly yeah. the right audience. And then they immediately um, pressed records and yeah. the entire country loved it. I hadn't made the connection until you mentioned like, oh, there were heroes coming back that you can absolutely direct this to emphasize the difficulty that, that soldiers returning from World War II had going back to civilian life. Yeah. Because that was not talked about at all no. at the time. And if I tell like, you, if you know watching Streetcar that Stanley has PTSD. Yeah. Like, then, you still don't like him, but... But there's there's more going on. There's layers going on to there. Yeah. And, like, my, my grandfather was in World War II, and my mom has said, like, he did not talk about it. Like, ever. He, mm-hmm. he never, yeah. ever mentioned yep. the experiences that he had. And um, one of my favorite musicals of the past decade is Bandstand. Sure. Which came out in 2015, but is yeah. exclusively about soldiers returning home from World War II and dealing with the PTSD of what they've seen and having to reconcile that with going back to just life as normal. And I think viewing Streetcar through that lens makes me understand mm-hmm. it a little bit more. Even if that was like definitely not the intention when it was written necessarily, but I think you can put that lens on it. Yeah, I think you sh- I think you can for sure. Um So the other thing that the other things that really helped were that um, other people immediately started doing Streetcar. Um, so it started to get performed around the world. Like, there was a production of Streetcar in Greece in 1948. Oh, okay. Like, there were other productions happening. The uh, 1949 saw the London premiere directed by um, some dude named Larry Oliver. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah, Larry, uh, yeah, Lawrence Olivier, right? Um, and that is where we get um, Vivian Lee as Blanche and then Vivian Lee played Blanche in the movie. Yeah. So we get, you know, all these things. There was an Australian production in 1950. The first all black production was in 1953. Like this was immediately done by everyone very quickly. Um, so there have been, um, uh, some pretty, there's been some very notable revivals. A lot of people do it. Um, there was a 1992 revival um, with Alec Baldwin as Stanley and Jessica Lange as Blanche. Like okay. everyone, these are these are roles that people reach for, yeah, and want to do. Like uh, on the like uh, like Hello Dolly, okay, uh, or any of the August Wilson plays. Like so, all of these roles are quickly becoming that. But yeah, Streetcar is a is a big sad bummer of a show that is somehow still relevant, and this is why. It's an American classic. Um, I I remember studying. Uh, I remember reading Streetcar in an English class in high school and not getting it um, because theater is not English. Theater That's its theater. own episode. That's its own. Write that down. <laughs> I will add that to our list. Theater, theater. I got is not big English. big things to say about that. Most of them are like specifically pinned into Shakespeare, but it sure. is a, a but larger I think it's a, it's a larger conversation, conversation that yeah. still holds up. 
English theater is not English. Theater, theater is not, is not English. Theater is not literature. Um, but uh, and then I remember reading it and studying it for some class at BGSU. And once I got into it going, oh, this is a classic that I actually like. Because a lot of those times, those those classics, you know, you you have to read them or you have to study them or you have to learn from them because, like, they are put together so specifically that it's a great, you know, case study, right? Like, everybody kind of knows this, so let's talk about it because then you'll understand how plot structure works or how the twist works or how this or how this or how this. You don't get many opportunities to take those plays or those shows that you, you study or you've read because you had to or they're, they're held up as classics and then you actually get to do it mm-hmm. um, and then get to do it in a, in a very historic theater with an incredible cast around you and everybody's pulling their weight and it's, and everybody's there to put in the work. Like, it's really, really easy for shows like this to not work and just be a drag. And the only thing worse than a well-performed bummer is a poorly performed bummer. Yes. Oh, I can't even imagine having so yeah to sit through this if it wasn't being well-performed. Yeah. But there were, there were nights that I would sit in the wing to just watch a couple of them do their work. Yeah. Um, like um, Kate who played Blanche um, was actually a little older than Blanche is usually cast uh, mm-hmm. now, especially nowadays nowadays they cast a little bit older for her but she was a little older to be cast for Blanche but she was you know she was so wonderful to work with throughout the whole rehearsal process and just a really really talented actress yeah she and was I felt, stunning I felt pretty good about it because I was keeping my own. I felt like, okay, cool. I can keep up with you. Like, this mm-hmm. is good. This is this is good. And then we got to opening night, and she walks on the stage, and she just has another gear to throw it into. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Oh, that's not nice. You have another gear. I don't listen. I don't know <laughs> if I have another gear. I'm going to try. We're going to find out. Um, so Give yourself is, some credit. You had strap. I did have strap. So that is true. I did perform all a streetcar with strap. So I'm so happy I did it. I, uh, I'm so, so glad to be able to put that on my, on my resume for forever now. Um, I never want to do it again. Yeah. Which is a problem because we're taking it to Okta. Uh-huh. That track. So, yeah. And we are definitely taking the bummer parts. Oh, yeah. Well, what else yeah. would you take to Okta? You can't take... Well, there was a conversation about we could take Act 2. And Act 2 has everybody's in it. Everybody's invested. The first part of Act 2 is some like some really good stuff between Stanley and Stella. Blanche has a monologue. And then the second scene is uh, Mitch and Blanche go on a date. And a date doesn't go well. And then they have a really good night afterwards. And they get have some very honest conversations. And then it ends with a kiss. Uh, and that would be the whole thing. We're like, yeah, we could do that. And then they timed the first three scenes of act three and they're like no we're gonna do the very the very bad birthday party followed by the sexual assault cool we're gonna do that so we're gonna do the bit where it ends with you uh assaulting her and then running away and then that'll be the end oh i love that that's phenomenal 
Yeah. So that'll be in like a month and a half. So I'll have to get back, get my head back into it. But, uh huh. But, uh, yeah. Community theater, every now and then, everything yeah. just coalesces and it's really, really, really beautiful and good. Yep. That's Streetcar. Um, there you can, well, you can watch the movie probably, I mean, on Amazon or wherever. It's, it's good. It's high quality. You'd watch it in film classes or you'd watch it in theater classes, I'm sure. And it's still studied and talked about, obviously. So it's it's a good um it's a good starting point if you want to try to figure out if you like American classic theater cuz it's more accessible than like Eugene O'Neill or something like that. There's a lot of weird stuff and this is not weird. Um it's very very human. Yeah. If that is anything that interests you, I mean I recommend is a strange word for this show. Right. But, yeah. Right. So, like, people afterwards were like, oh, my God, it was amazing. You did so good. I hate you so much. Or people were like, I'm so sad. How dare you make me feel this way? Or that was incredibly moving or yada, yada, yada. Nobody was like, oh, my God, I I enjoyed it so much. Right. Yeah. And and yeah. largely for that reason, I'm probably not personally going to go seek out and watch the movie. Um, I'm going to instead just delve a little deeper into finding funny moments in Shakespeare to put on stage. There you go. And there you just go. be be uplifted more by theater. But it's Man, good I for theater to make you think and it's good for theater to make you feel things. And so Yes. Yes. That's why theater is here. To make you feel things and make you think about things. And sometimes those things are really big and heavy. And sometimes And sometimes they're silly Shakespeare jokes. And sometimes they're silly little Shakespeare jokes. I know you can't say country matters in your silly little Shakespeare show. No, that line has been skipped. Uh, that makes sense. Um, what is your current favorite line that the children are saying wrong? So we're still blocking, uh-huh. which means I'm not getting a ton of line delivery. I think one of my favorite moments that we're doing hamlet gets condensed into to 12 minutes so they're allotted 12 minutes to do hamlet that's about right yeah that's and so there's like constantly a character who's like saying nope we gotta skip it keep going we gotta skip it skip it keep going skip go skip go and and one of the running jokes in hamlet is that ophelia just runs on to cry and then runs off again and doesn't get to do any of her like meteor scenes well and so you know, that yeah one of my favorite moments is that like we're setting hamlet up to do the big to be or not to be speech yep and he literally gets out to be or not to be when the narrator who's like we gotta go we gotta go like says to ophelia like get on stage and so ophelia like runs on and interrupts to be or not to be Uh uh-huh and so Hamlet just looks and screams, get thee to a nunnery. And it's more like in response to how dare you interrupt my monologue. Good, good, good. And that's a lovely, uh, beautiful moment. They do that in Macbeth a couple times as well. They have Macbeth in the conversation with the witches and he picks up the dagger and he does the very dramatic like, is this a dagger that I see before me? But before he can do any more of the monologue, the witches just go, yep, bye, and end the scene. <laughs> good, 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 good. See, the the premise of Shakespeare I love. It reminds me a lot of Complete Works Abridged, which I it's also It's similar, love. yeah. But 
what I would love to do is take this Shake Explosion script and do it with like a dozen drunk adults and just let them swear their way through it. 100%. Like that sounds like a great time. That would that would be phenomenal. There's also a lot of really fun like blink and you'll miss it jokes in the history section that are hilarious to me. So um, the one of the things we blocked today was during Richard III. So they go through all the histories chronologically. And during Richard III, at one point, Lady Anne is saying, you know, you killed my husband. And Richard's like, who's your husband? And she says, Edward. And they make a running joke out of the fact that at that point, we've met like four characters named Edward. Sure. As you go chronologically through English history. There's a lot. And of so all of the people who have played in Edward, like step forward, like, are you talking about me? Are you talking about me? Are you talking about me? And Richard goes, y'all are dead. And one of them is Edward IV, who is Richard III's brother. And he steps forward and he goes, well, I'm not dead. And Richard just turns to him and goes, give it a minute. And then goes right back into his conversation with Anne. (laughs) And that line always Uh, makes me laugh so hard. I think it's so funny. That's pretty good. And then immediately following that, Anne is like, you killed my husband and my father-in-law. And Richard goes, and my brother George. Don't forget about my brother George. At which point, brother George walks down and goes, what are you talking about? And Richard just turns to him and stabs him and then goes back to his conversation. (laughs) Look, there's a lot of history to get through. That sounds very efficient. It is. And and like the act one. It's just good storytelling. The the play is, of course, divided into five acts because Shakespeare. Because Shakespeare, Um, So act one is the histories. And it's... It's like 25 pages of action. Um, okay. So it's it's a hefty chunk of the show. And when I first read the script, I was a little nervous about, like, we're starting with the histories, really? Like, that's where you're going to kick us off? Sure. I was like, what about yep. the fact that the histories are the most boring of all of Shakespeare's plays? And that's where we're beginning. And I was a little trepidatious about it. But then I had, you know... We read through it at the read-through, and these kids, who most of them don't know from Shakespeare, and if they do know from Shakespeare, they don't know from the histories. Like, they were laughing sure. their heads off during the history section. I was like, okay, okay, we're good. Okay, cool. This it's works. funny. It's there engaging. You Sometimes you have to hear it out loud with a group of people. Like, Absolutely. Just, there's no other way around it. Because theater is not literature. Theater is not literature. Shakespeare, specifically, is not literature. Not literature. Um, and so, yeah, so it's it's very slapdash. It's purposely chaotic, which I think also helps. Um, the original script had 11 people doing all of the characters in the history. Okay. And so, like, it's just constant, like, running off and switching costumes and, and running on and becoming a new character. Um, I'm spreading the parts across my whole cast. So instead of being 11 people, it's um, 32. Very different. Yep. Sure. Yeah. So I've got like 10 designated narrators who are the ones kind of like passing, giving you like, and then this happened and then this happened. And then everybody else is playing the characters in various combinations. Um, but I have added to specifically the histories, but the play as a whole, I have added a, a ribbon dancing specter of death. Like you do. Yeah, so I have a tiny nine-year-old child whose sole job in the histories is to go around with a little, like, gymnastics ribbon. Yep. And dance around the people who have died to lead them off stage. Any chance this is the same person who played a sword? (laughs) 
It's exactly the same person who played the sword. There it is. There I it have, is. I have told her that someday she will get to play not an embodiment of like a weird concept, but an actual like speaking part. One day part. you'll get to speak. Yeah. One day so we'll she get also gets to be a pirate later. It's fine. What? Look, you're death and then you're a pirate. Like, yeah. That's pretty good. And I did play a pen sword. It's pretty cool. I did unintentionally at rehearsal today kind of imply that Queen Elizabeth I is the embodiment of death because this small child at the very end of the histories is also playing baby Elizabeth. Sure. And so as we go through all the histories, there's one singular crown that is getting passed from ruler to ruler to ruler as the story goes along. They just sure, like the take the crown stick. off. Yeah. yeah. And so at the very end, it's supposed to end with King Henry VIII standing with baby Elizabeth. And I wanted to give my my ribbon dancer like an actual like person part in this. So it's like, you can be baby Elizabeth. She only cries. It's supposed to be a baby doll, but, but I'll make it a, a person who's standing there. And then today I decided like, no, I want you in this moment to pull out your death ribbon and wave it at King Henry VIII and then take the crown from him and put it on your head and just end the histories with this tiny girl child like standing on stage with the crown having killed everybody else. I mean, and that's I'm like, the I'm okay with that. I'm that's okay with histories. that. There's a lot of death in the histories. So oh, that, yeah. That fits, that tracks, that works. So, yeah, we are, we are having fun, um, which is good. That's very good. So, look, you're supposed to have fun in theater. Theater isn't you all are. big bummers that make it's you think. True. Sometimes, sometimes you watch a tiny little child kill everyone. Exactly, but it's funny. and we love it. No, um, the the biggest challenge thus far. We're like two weeks in, not even. Um, we have not been rehearsing very long. We're almost done with blocking. But I have eleven, eight to ten year olds in this show. Yep. And I do not usually work with that age group. They're very particular. It's a, it's a lot. I love them. Have you fired any of them yet? Not yet. Are you thinking about it? Uh, you know, we had the read through and this group was my squirreliest group in the read through, of course. Because they don't have sure. as much to do in the show, and it was like two hours of just sitting in chairs and listening to other people say things. And so it was a lot of like reminding them what page we're on, reminding them of the characters that they play. Yeah. And then at the end of the read-through, I still had one girl come up to me and go, I don't know what my parts are in the show. And I'm like, we just had a read-through. You just read your parts out loud. You weren't marking them. And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay. Oh so immediately there, I was like, all right. I need to completely reevaluate how I was going to do blocking. I need to pull this ensemble out separately and do blocking rehearsals with just them. Yep. And their first rehearsal needs to literally be going through all of their scenes and giving everybody a highlighter and making sure that everybody has their parts highlighted. Yep. How'd that work out? Uh, Well, I wasn't there for it. That was the day that Chase and I drove to Cleveland to see, well, to Oberlin to see our friends, Zach and Nikki. In Into the Woods. Um, so I passed that rehearsal off to my stage manager and uh, my dad. And it went fairly well, apparently. They got their little presentation from our dramaturg. And then they got almost through the show highlighting things. And my actual, 
I had my first actual blocking rehearsal with them yesterday, but it was full cast. It was blocking the end scene, which is a little crazy. And I think the smartest thing that I did was assign each of my young ensemble an older buddy who was responsible for helping them write their blocking in. That's probably a good idea. And that, I think, was one of the smartest decisions I've made in my career. Well, one of the smartest decisions that our audience (laughs) has made is listening to us uh, rant and rave about uh, Shakespeare and bummers. It's true. So thanks for listening to this episode. This has been a full episode. It sure has. A full, experience. Everything from Tony's to history lessons to... uh, Science. There's a little bit of science in this one, too. There's a little bit of science in there, yeah. It's a full scale, the full gamut. Uh, and, uh, pretty soon we won't even have to talk about Andy. Oh gosh. That's going to be amazing. Thank you, uh, for, to those of you that are on our Patreon and, uh, we get to talk to you on our discord server. It's a good time. Uh, if you have any ideas, uh, who's going to win some, some of these Sony awards, you should let us know. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, uh, as well as the rest of the network over at ghostlightmedia.com. All of the other fine shows that we get to have a lot of fun making and we all just uh, really, really enjoy what we get to do over here. So thank you so, so much for your continued support. We appreciate you. And that's all for today. So I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And join us next time by the ghost. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.